We're going to be in Revelation. We're going to be in Revelation. Tell you what, this is a... You know... So my, my daughter had a wedding. So when you have a wedding, you know, the lady's going to make you buy new clothes, right? So I had to go out and buy a new suit. I had to go out and buy a new... I think I even got a new tie to the deal. I'm not even for sure. You know, I have 100 ties, but I had to go buy a new tie. But... One of the things I had to do is I had to buy new shoes. And I've had more than one of you brothers make fun of these shoes I'm wearing. And I made fun of them myself. I had one. <laughs> but I'm going to keep wearing them because I want to get my money's worth out of them. I had to pay for these shoes. And I see them sitting over there and I'm like, man, I'm never going to wear them any other time but church. There's no way I'll ever wear them again. And, I, and y'all, everyone, I think about four or five of you brothers have made fun of these shoes on me. One of y'all said it looks like pimp shoes, like some a pimp would wear. <laughs> you see, I don't know, that makes me want to wear them even more when I hear that. But I'm going to keep on wearing them. Revelation 14. So if I'm embarrassing you as your pastor because I'm uh, wearing these shoes, then buy me a new pair of boots and I'll, uh, I'll put these out. In the, I'll put the, I just can't stand to, to let them go to waste. This suit, I've had this suit for 25 years. And luckily, I've been able to keep my weight down to be able to keep in it. It looks like a 25-year-old suit, doesn't it? <laughs> All right, Revelation chapter 14. This is a sermon. I'm kind of joking around a lot because, ooh, this is a sermon. You're never going to hear Joel Osteen, Osteen preach. This is a Jesus Christ that Joel Osteen doesn't ever talk about. This is a Jesus Christ that maybe you've never seen in your Bible. This is Jesus Christ with the wine press of the wrath of God. The wine press of the wrath of God. This is a horror story, is what this is. This is a horror story. Look at verse 14, Revelation chapter 14. We'll start there at verse 14. Now, before we get going too far, let me show you this on my board. Show you this on my board. So in the first coming of Jesus Christ, in the first coming of Jesus Christ, there were four accounts. There was, we, we found those four accounts in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So what you're going on, what's going on in the Revelation, is when you study the book of Revelation, it's the second coming of Jesus Christ. So his first coming, there were four accounts. So in the second coming of Jesus Christ, found in the book of Revelation, what you're going to find is you're going to find four separate accounts. It goes through four separate accounts. Just like Matthew went through the birth and all the way through the, uh, through the resurrection, that's what you have here, the seven seals, is a, is a telling of the beginning of the, of the second coming all the way to the end of the second coming, the battle of Armageddon. So you have the seven seals, that's found in chapters 1 through 8. We studied those. The seven trumpets, that's chapters 8 through 11. And then we went through the seven personages, the Antichrist, the false prophet, the, the, the woman up in heaven, uh, the seven personages. And that's chapters 12 through 14. So we're at the end of chapter 14. We're at the very end of the third account of the second coming of Jesus Christ. And then we'll get into chapters 15 and 19. That's the, the final account of the seven vials. And that's told through seven vials of God's Seven vials of God's wrath. So what you have going on in the second coming of Jesus Christ is God's wrath being poured out on mankind. That's what the, the book of Revelation is. It's God's pouring his wrath out on mankind. Thank God we're part of the, the family of God and he's going to rapture us out of here. We don't get this. We don't have to worry about that. But look at verse 14. You're going to see it. Man, if you've never seen this stuff before, this is horrifying. And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man. That would be Jesus Christ. Having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. 
And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, Thrust in thy sickle and reap, for the time has come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. And another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, which had the power over fire, and cried with a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle, and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth, gathered the vine of the earth, and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden without the city, and blood came out of the winepress even unto the horse bridles by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. That, my friends, is about 200 miles. Brother Joker, do you mind praying over this sermon, please, brother? Thank you, brother. Amen. So what you have going on here, brothers and sisters, in, in uh, Revelation chapter 14, you have Jesus Christ coming down with a sickle, and he's a reaper. He's reaping. Jesus Christ is reaping something. So I'm going to draw this little timeline here. We know, and I'm going to put this little bubble here. This bubble is going to represent the seven-year tribulation period that we've been studying about all through these different chapters. And we know before this seven-year tribulation period, before the wrath of God's poured out, that there's a rapture that takes place. And then the seven-year tribulation period where God's wrath. But we also see here, and we've seen it, this is the second or third time we've seen it, where we're seeing a post-tribulation rapture. We're right before Jesus Christ comes back at the Battle of Armageddon that, that he raptures out some more saints. There's 144,000 that get raptured out. We saw that, those Jews that are, that are got the seal of God on them. And that's what you have going on here is a second rapture there in verse 15, a post-tribulation rapture. Look at, let's look at it again. And another angel came out of the temple crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, thrust in thy sickle and reap. For the time has come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. Now, we don't have time to turn there because we're going to look through some other scriptures, but go home, write down these verses, Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 through 42. Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 for 42. That's where Christ describes a reaping where the angels come and they're going to reap out and they're going to reap out the good from the bad and that's what's happening. Christ comes, he's reaping out and he's taking all the good back up there with him. There's a second rapture, a post-tribulation rapture that takes place right there. That's Jesus Christ doing that. He's harvesting up. He's harvesting it up. He's finishing up the harvest. The rapture is described as a harvest in the Bible. You got the first fruits. That's Christ when he came up with those other Old Testament saints you find. That's the first fruits. And then there's a main harvest. That will be the rapture. 
And then there's a thing in the harvest, they always had a gleanings where they would go back after the main harvest and they grab the little bit that was left over. They call that the gleaning. So you have first fruits, that was Christ at his, as, at his resurrection. We went up into heaven. The, the main harvest, which is the rapture, and this would be the gleanings. And that's what you're seeing here is Christ gleaning that up at the end of that harvest. And he's, he's, he's gleaning, he's a reaper. And he's using a sickle. He's using a sickle. Look at verse, uh, verse 17. Look at verse 17. And another angel came out of the temple which is in heaven, and he also having a sharp sickle. So we're going to write some of these words down, and as we go through the Bible, as we go through the Bible this morning, we're going to write these words down, and we're going to notice these words being used all through this Old Testament prophecy. So the first word we're going to write down is sickle, is a sickle. Y'all know what a sickle is? Like the grim reaper? Here's Christ as a reaper, and then you have another angel as a reaper. Remember the grim reaper? He has the cloak. He has that sickle. They would, it had the long, had the long look blade, and they'd get down, and they would, they'd cut down that harvest, cut down that grain, cut down that grass, and they'd sweep it like that. That's what is going on. There's a sickle. That's what a sickle is. It's described there. Now look at there. Look at look at verse 18. Look at verse 18. And another angel came out from the altar which had the power over fire and cried with a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. Her grapes are fully ripe. So what's going on here is there's two vines. Jesus Christ said in John chapter 15, I am the true vine. If Christ is the true vine, there must be a false vine. So you see there in verse, 17, verse 18, the clusters of the vine of the earth. There's two different vines. There's a vine of the earth, and there's Jesus Christ who's the true vine. The vine of the earth is the devil's vine. That's the devil's fruit. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, the Bible says, For their vine, their vine is the vine of Sodom. Homosexuality. Their vine is the vine of Sodom in the fields of Gomorrah. Their grapes are grapes of gall. Their clusters are bitter. Their wine is a poison of dragons and the cruel venom of ass. There's two different vines. And you're seeing that verse, eight, verse 18, there's that second vine. What you have happening here, brothers, is there's a reaping that takes place at the end of the tribulation period where Christ sends out his angels and he gathers the good out. And he takes the bad and he's going to take the bad and he's going to throw them down into the valley of Armageddon and he's going to stomp on them. And when he stomps on them, that blood's going to run, verse 20, for 1,600 furlongs to the horse's bridle for about 200 miles. That's a lot of blood. That's a lot of blood. Verse 19. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it, see that vine of the earth, and cast it, into the great wine press. We're going to write that word down, wine press. So we got sickle, we got wine press. Wine press of, of what? The wrath of God. See, this tribulation period is the wrath of God being poured out on mankind. Listen, either God's love's on you or God's wrath's on you this morning. If you're saved, God's love is on you. If you're lost in here this morning, God's wrath is on you. The Bible says, the wrath of God abideth on him that believeth not. That's John 3, 36. 
If you're saved, you're saved and the love of God is found. You found the love of God at the cross of Calvary. That's where it's found. That's where God's love is at the cross through Jesus Christ. And if you're not saved, the wrath of God still abideth on you. Jesus Christ said, he that believeth in me is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already. You got the wrath of God on you. That's why I mentioned that this is a message that a lot of TV preachers and definitely Osteen is never going to preach because it's going to show Jesus pouring out God's wrath on mankind. This is God's wrath on mankind. How great is this wrath? Well, it says, verse 20, the wine press was trodden without the city. That city would be Jerusalem. Blood came out of the wine press, the wine press, even unto the horse's bridle. So what is a wine press? What they would do is they would take, we would say like a, be a big uh, half, five, 55 gallon bucket be cut in half and they'd, they'd put all the grapes into this bucket and then they'd get in their bare feet and they would pull up their, they'd pull up their robes and they'd just sit there and they'd just, they'd squeeze, they'd stomp on those, they'd stomp and stomp and stomp on those grapes and they're squeezing out that grape juice and, they, and, and, they, and below that, Below that barrel, they'd have a little spigot, and it would pour out, and they'd catch that juice that was coming out. So it's just stomp, 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 squeezing those grapes out and getting that grape juice. And that's how it's being described there in verse 20. And the wine press was trodden without the city. See, it's being stomped on. And instead of grape juice coming out, blood came out of the wine press. It's horrifying. There's no horror movie you could watch that's going to describe something like this where you've got millions and millions of people thrown into a valley, millions and millions of people in an army that God's is describing it as a wine press as God squeezing the literal blood out of them like you'd squeeze the grape juice out of a grape. It's squeezing their body till where blood comes out. The blood came out of the wine press even until the horse's bridles by the space of 1,600 furlongs, which is about 200 miles. Turn to Revelation chapter 19. Turn to Revelation chapter 19. Now we're going to go do a study. Let's do a study of this. This is so terrifying. This is so horrifying that some people just can't accept it. They can't accept that. They can't accept it. They can't accept the Lamb of God would do this. Well, this ain't the Lamb of God doing this. This is the Lion of God doing this. You got it? Right now, Jesus Christ is your lamb. Right now, he is the lamb of God. You need to take him as your sacrifice. But there's coming a day, that lamb of God is no more a lamb. He's a lion roaring out of Jerusalem. You can go up and you can handle a lamb. You can go up and you can take care of a lamb. You don't touch a lion. It roars, it devours, it tears in pieces. He's a king of kings and a lord of lords. He's a lion of the tribe of Judah. That's what we're dealing with here. People want to keep Jesus Christ. There's two things they want to do with Jesus Christ. This is what the world wants to do. First off, they want to keep Jesus Christ in a manger as a little baby. That's what they love. They love him as a manger and a little baby because that little baby can't tell them what to do. That little baby can't tell them where they're going to go. That little baby's so precious. They want to keep him as a little baby. And the second thing they want to do is they want to keep Jesus Christ as a lamb. He's docile, he's kind, he's merciful, he's loving. And he is, if you know him as the Lamb of God, but we're talking about a time when God shows up where he, become, he shows up as a lion. And the wrath of God is on him. And he's coming to bring the wrath of God. Look, this is another description of the second coming of Jesus Christ. Look at Revelation chapter 19. And this is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Look at verse 11. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he does judge and make war. This is Jesus coming to make war. 
Look at verse 12. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. Look at verse 13, though. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. I'm going to write that down. A vesture dipped in blood. A vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. No doubt this is Jesus Christ. And the armies which are in heaven followed him. That'd be me and you coming with Jesus Christ. Upon white horses clothed in fine linen and white and clean. And when I get to this chapter, I'll preach it and we'll talk more about it. But look at verse 15. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that which it, with it he should smite the nations. Smite the nations. Smite the nations. This isn't love. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And look, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. Man. That's your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, coming down to start destroying the nations of the devil and the nations of the world. You either belong to God or you belong to the devil this morning. It's a two-sided coin. You're the child of God or the child of the devil. Right here, the child, children of the devil, the people of the world, they're going to get pressed in a wine press and treadeth. Look, he treadeth, talking about Jesus, he treadeth the wine press of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. The world don't like to think that Jesus Christ is coming back, number one, amen? But he is. But they think he's going to come. Some people, when you say, hey, Jesus is coming, they're like, oh, Jesus is coming. He's going to come back, and they got this picture of Jesus coming with a little flower in his hair, and oh, peace, everybody, peace, peace. That's not how Jesus is coming back. When he comes back the second time, like I said, he's coming back as a lion, vesture dipped in blood, the wrath of God, the lion press, got the sickle. He's mowing people down. He's coming back on his king of kings, verse 16, and he hath on his vesture and on his thigh name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. That's my Savior. This isn't Muhammad. This isn't Buddha. This isn't some nonsense. This isn't the Pope. This is Jesus Christ. Look at Joel. 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 You want to find Joel? He's in the Old Testament. He's a minor prophet in the Old Testament. If you want to find Joel or Joel, if you can find Daniel, find Ezekiel, and then comes the book of Daniel, then comes the book of Hosea, and then you should be able to find the book of Joel. It's only three chapters. Jo Joel, Joel, is only three chapters, and it's amazing. I mean, it's full, 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 full of prophecy. Joel. I call it Joel, and sometimes when I say Joel, it sounds like I'm saying Job, so I say Joel. <laughs> so you'll know it's E-L, Joel, Joel. If you have to go to the front of your Bible... And look in the index, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Learn your Bible. Go up there, look in the front of your Bible. It should be indexed, table of contents. Find out where Joel's at. Look at chapter 3. Look at verse 9. Look at chapter 3, look at verse 9. Proclaim ye this among the Gentiles. Prepare war. Wake up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. Look at verse 10. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I'm strong. The Lord God says, y'all get ready. Let's fight. It's time for war. God says, I'm, I'm, I'm preparing you for war. All you Gentiles, let's get together. We're going to fight. Look at verse 11. Assemble yourselves. Get together. Come, all ye heathen. Gather yourselves together round about. Thither cause thy mighty ones to come down, O Lord. Let the heathen be wakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. 
For there will I sit to judge all the heathen round about. That's the battle of Armageddon. As we get deeper in the book of Revelation, we'll study the valley of Armageddon. But the valley of Armageddon is called the valley of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat means Jehovah, Jehosa. Jehovah, that Jeho is Jehovah, Jehovah judges. And you, can, you, see, that, you see that it's, uh, it's, it's put out right there, for there will I set to judge. So it's actually defined inside the verse, for there will I set to judge all the heathen round about. The valley of Jehoshaphat. Look at verse 13. Put ye in the sickle. There it is. There it is. We've read that before, right? Put ye in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. There it is, that word ripe, the harvest. There's those words again. Come, get you down, for the press is full. There's that wine press. The press is full. The fats overflow, for their wickedness is great. That's the vine of the earth. Put down into that valley of Jehoshaphat at the battle of Armageddon. Verse 14, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. Y'all remember back in Revelation chapter 9, verse 16, that it said that the river Euphrates was dried up, that a 200 million man, 200 million man army could go across and go against into the valley, battle of Armageddon. You remember studying that with me? I'm bringing it back up because that's 200 million men. So you at least got 200 million men going into this valley and God's going to crush them and squeeze them like a grape and blood's going to be flowing to the horse's bridle for 200 miles. Now the Bible says in Ezekiel that there's going to be blood come down from heaven also at that time. It's not only going to be the blood of men, but there's going to be blood rain from heaven. In Ezekiel it says that. But you got multitudes and multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. Look at verse 15. The sun and the moon shall be darkened. See, that's tri tribulation period. The stars shall withdraw their shining tribulation period. But look at verse 16. The Lord also shall roar out of Zion. A, a lamb doesn't roar. <laughs> Amen? It bleeps. But a lion roars. They say when a lion roars, you can hear it from miles around. Miles and miles. So you ever go to, I, now, I don't go to very many zoos, but I've been to the Abilene Zoo more than a couple of times. And when you're in the Abilene Zoo, when that lion roars, you can hear it all over that zoo. It just roars. The Lord also shall roar out of Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. And the heavens and the earth shall shake. We read about that earthquake. But the Lord will be the hope of his people and the strength of the children of Israel. That's our hope. That's our hope. So shall you know that I am the Lord your God dwelling in Zion. That'd be in Jerusalem. That's God dwelling in Jerusalem. My holy mountain, then shall Jerusalem be holy, and there shall no strangers pass through her anymore. That's Jesus Christ ruling from Jerusalem as a lion, as a king of kings and lord of lords. Look at Jeremiah chapter 25. Jeremiah chapter 25. We're getting there. I'll show you. We're getting there. Jeremiah chapter 25. I'm showing you that in this old this this has all been prophesied. Jeremiah chapter 25, verse 30. This has all been prophesied, brothers and sisters, through the Old Testament that there's going to be a Messiah. He's going to come. He's going to rule the nations. There's going to be a great battle that multitudes upon multitudes are going to be down in this valley. And then in Revelation, we're seeing it's like a, it's a wine press of the wrath of God where he's trodden down on them and killing them, and blood's going everywhere. It's going to be horrifying. You can't, you can't. You can't imagine how horrifying that's going to be. Look at Jeremiah chapter 25, verse 30. Jeremiah chapter 25, verse 30. 
Therefore prophesy thou against them. This is God, the Lord God, talking to Jeremiah. Therefore prophesy thou against them all these words. And say unto them, The Lord shall roar from on high. There it is, that roar again as a lion. And utter his voice from his holy habitation. Look, he shall mightily roar upon his habitation. He shall give a shout as they that tread the grapes. Ooh, there's the wine press again. That tread the grapes. They're stomping, stomping. I'm stomping in my, I'm stomping in my ugly wedding shoes. Just stomping, just stomping, just stomping. Squeezing out that grape juice. Squeezing out that blood out of the bodies. He shall give a shout as they that tread the grapes against all, against all, underline it, all the inhabitants of the earth. This isn't just against, against somebody like Iran, all right? This is against America, it's against Kansas, against everybody. It's going to go against Jerusalem in the last days. That's why you see in America fall like it is. God's got it judged, it's going to fall. Now, finally, turn to Isaiah 63. Here's the, here's the real deal, brothers and sisters. This is it. Isaiah 63, this is it. I was kind of setting you up for this chapter right here. This is the most horrifying thing you're going to read about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. One of the most horrifying things you're going to read about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that was prophesied about Him. Isaiah chapter 63. We're going to be here the rest of the service. Isaiah 63. No, that's one of the things I hate about the way they portray Jesus Christ in a lot of the movies I've seen. Is they portray, they betray, portray Jesus Christ as kind of being a weakling, as kind of a sissy, as kind of being just like a, a I'd call him a mama's boy, you know. You know, what does, what does Mama Mary say or anything? He's not portrayed like that in the Bible. And if you study Jesus Christ, he's a man's man. Jesus Christ is a whole lot more like John Wayne than he was Gomer Pyle. Praise God. And you're about to see a John Wayne character come up here in Isaiah 63. This is, this is more like a Freddy Krueger. This is your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Who is this that cometh from Edom with dyed garments from Basra? This that is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength. I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save. This is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Is a prophecy of him, and that right there is, it says coming from Edom and from Basra. If you study the Bible out, you can see the second coming path. There's a path of Christ. When he comes back and he hits the earth, boom, and the earth just shakes. And the Lord just, just, just starts tearing down through there. There's a path. He comes down, and boom, he hits Mount Sinai, and here he goes. He goes flying through there. He goes across Jordan. He hits the mountains. The Bible says when he hits the, the Mount of Olives, that, that mountain just splits in half. And it says the Lord just comes down off his, and he gets down and it just splits in half. Then he gets back on his horse and he comes down through the eastern gate. He comes down as a king of kings and lord of lords. There's a path, that path of the second advent is being described there. And I, I might preach that and give that to you. It's pretty interesting to see that path that the Lord takes. It's all in there. You just got to study it. Amen. You got to study it. He's mighty to save. It's our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The question is, verse 2, wherefore art thou red in thine apparel? Vesture dipped in blood. Remember? Vesture dipped in blood. Why is your apparel, why are you red in thine apparel? Why does your apparel look red? And thy garments like him that treadeth in the wine fat. There's that wine press again. Why does it look like you've been treading out some grapes? 
Why does it look like you've been treading out some grace? Here's his answer, verse 3. Let's look at the answer of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I have trodden the winepress alone, and of the people there was none with me. Look at this, guys. For I will tread them in mine anger, trample them in my fury, and their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments, and I will stain all my raiment. Horrifying. The Lord Jesus Christ has come through the battle of Armageddon. He's come through there. He's just been stomping on them. His horse has been stomping on them, and their blood's been splattering up there on them. Did I make that up, or did you just read it with me? You think Osteen's preaching that this morning? No, listen to me, guys. This is Jesus Christ at the end. This is when the pure wrath of God is poured out through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And it's described as the winepress of the wrath of God. It's not like, oh, he doesn't like you, so he's going to say bad words to you. He's going to offend you. He's going to, no, the Bible says it's going to, he's going to trample on you. He's going to stomp on you. He's going to try to squeeze the blood out of you. Let's read it again. I can see some of y'all are just kind of perplexed that, that this is in the Bible. I have trodden the winepress alone of the people. There was none with me, for I will tread them in mine anger and trample them in my fury, and their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments, and I will stain all my raiment. For the day of vengeance is in mine heart, and the year of my redeemed is come. Amen. See, there's a day of vengeance. See how they're making fun of us, mocking us, making fun of Christianity, making fun of Jesus Christ, making fun of the Lord God, making fun of the Holy Spirit. There's a day coming they're going to get theirs. There's a day of vengeance. There's a payday someday, and it's coming. But look at that at the end of verse 4. And the year of my redeemed has come. Are you his redeemed? Amen, you are. Amen. He bought you. He pre- how did he buy you? With his precious blood. It says, the year of my redeemed has come. It's finally our year. See, when this takes place, it's finally our time. They've been killing us. They've been massacring us. They've been putting us to the fire. They've been torturing us. They've been stoning us. They've been murdering us. They've been um, ridiculing us. They've been ridiculing God. They took our God and they put him on a cross and killed him and stoned I mean, and, and pierced him and put a crown of thorns on him. They did all of that. Now it's our time. Now it's his time. For the day of vengeance is in my heart, and the year of my redeemed is come. And I looked, and there was none to help. And I wondered that there was none to uphold. Therefore mine own arm brought salvation unto me. See, Jesus is the arm of God in salvation. And my fury, it upheld me. One arm brings salvation, the other arm brings fury. Verse 6, And I will tread down the people in mine anger, and make them drunk, and my fury, and I will bring down their strength to the earth. Wow. Horrifying. Terrible. And that's what you've just read in Revelation 14. The winepress of the wrath of God. He comes through there, and he's come through there stomping, and their blood's splattering up on him, and that blood's running what? For 200, the Bible says that, I've said this a hundred times in this church, listen to me, brothers and sisters. The Bible's not, especially the book of Revelation, it's not hard to understand. Because you can understand a horse's bridle. Almost everybody in this room knows, okay, a horse's bridle. I can see a horse standing. I can see the bridle of the horse. I can get an idea about how tall it is. I can tell you 
200 miles from here to Fort Worth, further. 200 miles, we're up there. That's how long that valley is, and the Bible says the blood's going to run that deep for 200 miles. See, it's not hard to understand that. It's hard to believe it. Amen? It's hard to believe it, because we, we can't comprehend that much blood, that much violence, that much horrible, that much wrath, that much, but that's how God feels about sin. I will tread down the people in my anger and make them drunk in my fear, and I will bring down their strength to the earth. You cannot find, and you can, I guess, but you're going to have a hard time finding a more horrifying set of verses from verses 1 through 6 of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, being described with red apparel because He's been trampling on people in fury and anger and His blood, their blood, verse 3, their blood should be sprinkled upon my garments. It's horrifying. Verses 1 through 6, you're not going to find a more horrifying set of verses in your entire Bible about the Lord God, about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Look at verse 7. That's why people don't like the Bible. I will mention the loving kindnesses of the Lord. <laughs> it's comical. It was funny. You're telling me, I just read for six verses that the Lord God, through Jesus Christ, is going to stamp on people so much, their blood's going to splatter up on him. He's mad, he's furious, he's angry. And then verse 7, I will mention the loving kindnesses of the Lord. Where's that loving kindness? You're not going to find it outside of Jesus Christ. The world's got it wrong. They're trying to find God's love outside of the cross of Christ. They're trying to find the love of God outside of Jesus Christ. Oh, the, the world loves to talk about how God is love. And when we try to tell them, hey, that, that's sin that you're doing. Oh, no, no, God doesn't judge. God is love. God is love. Love is love. God is love, but that's a sin. God doesn't, no, God is love. God would never do that. God, God, you're describing a God, no, I'm describing a God, verses 1 through 6, that's going to trample on you if you get in front of him. See, if you stand in front of Jesus Christ, he's just going to mow you down. If you get behind Jesus Christ, you can walk with him. Jesus Christ is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He doesn't bow down to anybody. He's not stopping for anybody. <laughs> I was watching this video of the, those guards over there in Britain, you know, that do that little stomping thing they do, and they have the big old stupid-looking helmet. You know what I'm talking about? And they have the little, and they, you know, uh, what kind of guards those are, the royal guards. And I was watching this video. <laughs> well, somebody, somebody who wasn't watching their kids, that sounds like America, right? They didn't have their, and their little kid about this tall ran over there and was kind of getting in the way, and that guy just stomped right over that little kid. And the, the mom oh, got over there and was looking mad at him. I'm like, get your kid out the way. This is Jesus Christ. He's not stopping for anybody. He don't stomp you down. But what do you, how do you explain verse 7? Well, let's read it. I will mention the loving kindnesses of the Lord and the praises of the Lord according to all that the Lord hath bestowed on us and the great goodness toward the house of Israel which he hath bestowed on them according to his mercies. And according to the multitude of his loving kindnesses. For he said, surely they are my people, children that will not lie. So he was their Savior. See, verses 7, 8, 9, all those verses right in there, those are for me. 
See verses 7 through 9? That's for me. Look at verse 9. And all their affliction he was afflicted. Were we afflicted? Amen. We were afflicted in sin, weren't we? Was Christ afflicted? On the cross he was. See verse 9? And all their affliction he was afflicted. He bare our infirmities. Amen? And the angel of his presence saved them. I'm saved by the angel, the messenger, the Lord Jesus Christ. He saved me. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. See that? That's in Christ. In his love and his pity, he redeemed them, and he bare them and carried them all the days of old. He's my shepherd. I'm his sheep. He picks me up and he carries me. When I wander too far off, he comes and gets me and brings me back to the fold. That's my Jesus. That's my Savior. Verses 7 through 9 are for everybody in this room that's saved. But verses 1 through 6 is those that are not saved. There's two sides of that coin. So you can either allow your blood, either your blood's going to be on Jesus or the blood of Jesus will be on you. One of the two. See, there was a time I came, like this little bitty squiggly of a guy here, I came to Jesus Christ with a big old head like that guy right there. See? And I allowed Jesus Christ to put his blood on me. You're saved by the blood of the Lamb. You're justified by the blood of the Lamb. Just like that blood was put on that doorpost, and you could get in there at the Exodus, at the Passover. That's what Keegan did. I got in that door and I said, I want to be under the blood of Jesus Christ. So either you can allow the blood of Jesus Christ to cover you. That's verses 7 through 9. Or you can be like one of these that's laying here like this. And when Jesus comes through, your blood's going to sprinkle on him. It's one or the other. God gives you the choice. It's your choice. See right here? This is loving kindnesses. This is uh, praises. This is great goodness. This is salvation. This is redeemed. This is burying me. That's it. That's the blood. I allow Jesus to put his blood on me. But if you don't allow Jesus to put his blood on me, this is the wrath of God, the fury, the anger. You read about it in verses 3 and 4 and 5 and 6. Mine anger, my fury so either you're going to this morning as we're closing you're either going to allow Jesus Christ to put his blood on you or you're going to leave this church and say I don't need the blood of Jesus Christ and I'm here to warn you that if you don't get the blood of Jesus Christ put on you there's a chance that the blood, your blood's going to sprinkle on him it's all right there in scripture Hello friends, this is Pastor Keegan Hall of Indian Gap Baptist Church of Indian Gap, Texas. If you'd like to contact us, you can do it at IndianGapBaptist.com. On the internet, it's IndianGapBaptist.com. But I have a question for you. If you died tonight, do you know if you'd go to heaven? You know, if you're not sure, let me show you a few verses out of the Bible so you can know if you have eternal life. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. 
So that verse tells us there that you can know you have eternal life. And I want to show you how you can know that. Jesus Christ talked in John chapter 3, verse 16, and most people have heard this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's an amazing verse, of course, talking about how God gave Jesus Christ as a gift to the world. But verse 17 and 18, he went on to say something interesting. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So the whole reason Jesus Christ came into this world was to save you and to save me and you. But in verse 18, he says something that's amazing. He says that he that believeth on him is not condemned. He's stressing a faith. It's putting your faith into Jesus Christ. But he says there in verse 18, But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So he says you're condemned already if you haven't believed in Jesus Christ. It's not like you're going to go to heaven and you're going to stand before God and you're going to have God put your good deeds on the scale and your bad deeds on on the other side of the scale and he's going to weigh it. And if you've been a good enough person down on this earth that he'll let you into heaven. It doesn't work that way. Jesus Christ is real explicit here to say that you're condemned already. You need a Savior right now. The same chapter down in verse 36, it says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. It goes back to a believe, putting your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But the verse continues, And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. See, it's going on right now. You need a Savior right now. You need to be saved from a devil's hell. Paul sums it up real good here in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, Thou shalt be saved. It's putting your faith in Jesus Christ from the heart. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. And then with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It's very important to confess Jesus Christ because the mouth shows where the heart's at. And in verse 13 he sums it up. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So friends, as simple as just bowing your head and saying a prayer, something like this. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you can came up from the grave and are alive right now listening to me. I invite you into my heart to save me. Please save me, Lord Jesus. Amen. If you prayed something similar to that, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at IndianGapBaptist.com. And God bless you. And until next time. Casting all your care upon him